kind of questions do you have? So we've got a little bit of time left over. That for any of you here that kind of helped tie up this thing, something I left unclear, unsaid, anybody? We'll go to that. Uh, we're talking about, um, you know, the old covenant and Moses and sacrificial system. And in Hebrews, you talked about how it says this, the blood of bulls and goats weren't able to cleanse the conscience of the worshipers, you know. So how do you view Jesus as the Lamb of God and the sacrifice? You know, because it can get tied to that whole system. So how do you, how do you view that? Well, even the, even the author of Hebrews is saying that didn't work. All right. But there is a greater sacrifice, a better sacrifice once and for all. But it's not the same. In this. this is a sacrifice that appeases God, which is how they looked at those old covenant right. sacrifices. This is a sacrifice in Hebrews 12 talks about who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. It is God taking our sin into himself and being the sacrifice we needed. So it's a shadow of a greater reality, which everything is in the book of Hebrews. Yeah. So why does God give it to them? Well, it's somehow in our psyche from the flesh that we created this, even in our false religious systems. That's the mentality. God, and this is the, the great story of the incarnation, and I hope the great story for each of our life. God begins, even with you today, not with where he wants you to be. He begins with where you are. And wherever you're lost, wherever they were lost in the land of Canaan, think we've got to have a sacrificial system, or if not, because even Hosea says this. Hosea is one of the later prophets. One of his most poetic passages, he's saying, what should I give to God in exchange for the sin of my soul? Should I give him the fruit of my body? the sin of my soul. What's he talking about? He's talking about child sacrifice. If God didn't give them this system to somehow earn appeasement or make them think they were, they would start sacrificing children. That's what every other culture did. So God's winning them out of that space. So he starts where they are so it looks like an appeasement, but the way he fulfills it in Christ, we go, wow, that wasn't what that was about. It didn't satisfy. God loved us before, so it didn't satisfy something in God. It satisfied something in us. When Jesus comes into the world, the shepherds are saying, you know, glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men with whom God is pleased. It's something that we just have never wrapped our head around. We think God sent his son to a world he hated and was angry at and was ready to destroy. And to think that God's pleased, even with his creation, when we've defiled it so, and been, he doesn't look at us like you horrible people that harassed and helpless, without, helpless like sheep without a shepherd to me is the way we'd view a four-year-old with cancer. Not the way we'd view a 70-year-old with lung cancer who's been smoking all their life. That's how we tend to look at sinners. God looks at like the young kid, four-year-old that's got cancer. and it, Our sin doesn't make us despised by him. If anything else, our cancer only makes us more endearing to the Father that wants to heal us and rescue and bring us out of that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We over here? Um, I think you answered part of my question in okay. answering that, but um, can you flesh out a little bit how, I mean, we, a lot of us grew up knowing this story, and so this is helping clarify it. How would you approach somebody who's never heard any of this story or um, their concept of it is so distorted that you can't backtrack? Do you understand what I'm saying? I do understand how? what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I guess I wouldn't try. To, to be honest, I wouldn't try to convince somebody they got the wrong story. I would live a different story. The more you're one into this, then people will say stuff in a conversation. And you're not going to go, I'm going to try to win you to the story. It's just simply you'll respond differently. Well, I'm not sure God looks at it that way. And I'll go, what? Just like the conversation I had with the man last week in, in Ohio. 
when he's talking about, I'm glad Jesus took care of all God's offense on the cross. And I said, what if God was never offended? I went, what? And that led us to talk about a bigger story. But it wasn't, let me tell you a story. It was simply, when we live these things as a reality, I think we do have the question come to mind or the thought that provokes a bigger conversation when the moment's right and when they're ready. And that isn't always true that they're ready and this is the moment. But I think we will have, and I think this is a story. I'm hoping that with the DVDs, whatever we end up with this thing, I'm hoping that even families with kids of 12, 13, and 14 might sit through this together to help their kids get a very different view of this story. Then when you hear the distorted version, you're just going, yeah, I don't have to buy that. I don't have to buy that. One of the, one of the problems I think with all of us is, I think this may be a shame-based deal, when God shows us something to be true, our first passion is for everyone else to see it. And I think our first thing, why don't we live this for a while? Then it will come up in conversations much more naturally and I think much more effectively. But as you get the, as this story becomes real for you, you'll be able to tell the story. Out of your, not remembering what Wayne said. And I, I, people always say, you know, I, I don't remember if I got this from you or the shack or whatever. And I, I don't care. I don't care if you got it from a monkey at the zoo. If it's become real in you, this is, I hope the story's God's telling. Uh, at least as best as I'm understanding at this part of my life. And I don't want people to say, you know, well, Wayne said this in the Jesus lens. Really lose that language. What I want you to say, you know what I'm wondering is when I read the Old Testament and say what you're seeing and what's been real to you. Don't worry about sourcing me. I, I, I borrowed from a lot of other sources to do this. This has been part of 40 years of study. I've dialogued with pastors and former pastors and brothers and sisters all over the planet who also teach the scriptures. I've run this by people. Troubleshoot this with me. And they're going, man, that's exactly what I, I've never heard anybody say this, but I believe exactly what you're saying. And it's given me the encouragement to say there's a whole lot of people thinking this way mm -hmm. but it's just so in the face of the story we've been told that people think you're a heretic and I'm sure people label me a heretic for teaching what I've taught here but I'm just nuts about people being one into a relationship because I think Jesus was and I think this book was given for us to do that not to be in competition with that so let's live it first then we'll find ourselves in those conversations that'll be effective yeah here just want to clarify something that you said um, in the upper room. Jesus said, "I and the Father are one." Mm -hmm. um, was Jesus trying to help the disciples understand that this God of the whole Testament was really one with Him? Well, I, I think that's the point of what He's saying. Yeah, th this is a marvelous moment. John fourteen. That's if you're going to start anywhere in the scripture and you just feel like you don't have any knowledge about anything and you want a relationship with God, start with the upper room discourse, John 14, 15, 16. This is the very beginning of 14. And he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you and the Father. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And every, we've interpreted that passage as future tense. That's, that's heaven. Nothing else in the upper room is future tense. He's actually talking about, there's a place for you today to be at home in my Father. And I'm going to go away the cross to prepare that place. And I'm coming again, the resurrection, to receive you to myself so that where I am, where was he? Well, he's in the upper room geographically, but where is he? He's in the Father. But they don't know that. But, so he says, so where I am, there you may be also. He knows they don't know what he's talking about. So he gives us the throwaway line. But you know the way to where I'm going. And doubting Thomas, the one we all, religion always despises, because you don't want somebody asking questions in a conformity-based environment, so we despise him. But if he doesn't ask what he asks, we don't get the next section of this. And I'm sure when he said, and you know the way to where I'm going, I can see Peter and John going, hmm, yes, amen, amen. And they're like, well, what is he talking about? But I don't want people. Thomas is the only one bold enough to say, whoa, 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 we don't even know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And then he says, I am the way.
So you don't know. You don't have to even know where. I don't know how to get from here back to the house I'm staying in. But if I stay with Derek, I'm going to get there. Derek's the way, or his wife Jenny, is the way for me to get everywhere I've needed to be these last three days. I, don't, I haven't looked at a Yahoo map. I haven't checked my iPhone to travel between places. I wasn't trying to get past the train last night that was blocking the, the tracks. I really don't have a clue how to get where I, from where I am to where I need to be. I have Derek who's the way. As long as I'm with Derek, I'm going to get there, right? That's what he's saying. You don't have to know where even. I am the way. Stay with me. I'll get you there. And then he tells them where. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now Philip asks the provocative question. Show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And he says, ah, oh, Philip, have I been so long with you? You don't know. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That He is really saying to them at that moment, I am God. I'm not just a Moses here that's been anointed by God in a wonderful way. Just normal humanity. This is God in human disguise. Do I think they got it from that? I don't know if they did. I think they're kind of still like, what is he talking about? But I do think he is saying to all of us and to them, if they would have gotten it, and I think they did get it later on at least, yeah, the God of the ages has come in the Son. He is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. It was the Father's good pleasure for all His fullness to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to Himself. Colossians 1. That's just great language to say He was here with us. When Jesus sits down with Zacchaeus, that's God sitting down with Zacchaeus. When Jesus doesn't pick up a stone to stone the adulteress, that's God not fulfilling His own law. Which gives us a different take on, well, then maybe we've seen this a little bit different than it needs to be seen. And I hope the stories unpack that. I'm wondering how you view the Father's heart when we're not living in the playground, when we're outside of that area. Do you see it as saddened or um, hopeful because he knows that the place is there and he knows that we'll return? Or are we some of us who haven't discovered the playground yet um, how do you see his heart toward that well I don't think it's I don't think it's true that none of us have discovered the playground yet but the reality is we live in it in some places in our heart and other places of our heart okay. we don't. I think how God feels about it I think the only thing that matters to me if I'm a father looking at kids the only matters to me which way you're going you can be a hundred miles away but I'm headed that way or I'm turning my back and I'm going mm, the other way yeah. and then I can be I can be on the edge of it, going the other way, and my heart's going to be saddened, not offended, mm. not I'm hurt, not you're ruining me. Oh, I'm just sorry for you. You're about mm -hmm. to miss something. So it really is not a matter of being outside of it, because in some ways we all are, in some ways we all aren't. Because from the moment we turn our hearts toward God, we have his favor. We had his love before we turn to him. So we're in his love. That's not a matter of that. I, I, I think it would make too much. That analogy breaks down, obviously, in time. But I think as far as how God feels, if you're coming... If you're drawing near, you can be 100 miles away drawing near. Or you can be a foot from him mm -hmm. drawing away. So I don't think it's where we are that matters to him. I think it's where we're going and where our hearts are. So that, would that, say, that explain it? I think so. It, does it, uh, do, this is not the same context, but when Jesus said, I am the way, you know the way, did, did he not also say, a few chapters before no one comes to me unless the father draws him right so I assume God is drawing us all the time toward the center okay but whether we're coming or not that's yeah. the deal okay
and a lot of us don't come. A lot, I mean, a lot of people just, and a lot of us don't come because we're scared. We're scared of what that opens mm. up in our life. And I think God has great compassion for that. God's not there saying, you won't come. You're yeah. just a disgusting little creature. God, please, I'm going to find another way. I'm going to look for another opportunity to make my love known mm. to you. That's how God's going to win us. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Mm. We hear so many people today, until we give people the law, we can't give them grace. And I'm going, you're out of your freaking mind. Mm -hmm. It's not the law that leads to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads. We all know we're sinners. I think even the most arrogant, self-justifying sinner on the planet at the core of their being knows that they're broken and estranged from God. There's a, mm -hmm. some, there's a cry in their heart unmet by their sin. Mm -hmm. I don't think they need to know that. I think they need to know that that kid needed to know in the, in the pig pen. If, if his older brother could have been the older brother Jesus was to us, that older brother would go by that pig pen and say, hey brother, do you know there's not a day goes by that my father isn't looking down the driveway mm -hmm. for you to come home? He's got a robe, a ring, and a sandal, and a calf, and a barbecue. The moment you come home, you're back in. You're welcome anytime. I think that's what the older brother would be saying if it was Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Let me just pray, and we'll include this in our time. And I want to thank you guys. You've been a fabulous, fabulous audience, and it's been wonderful to talk to you about these things. A lot of you have drawn this stuff out of me, stuff I wasn't planning on saying just because of you and your look on your face, and you've been wonderful for me. You've been a personal blessing to me, and I'm incredibly grateful. Derek has done so much to put this whole package together. You just don't know what a brother he's been, and his wife to host us in their home and take care of our needs while we're here. This wouldn't have happened without that, and I, I want appreciation to go to those people. And most of all, Father, I want appreciation to go to you because I, I feel like this was in your heart and this was very scary to, to bite off this much and try and do this. And my heart is so grateful that you have seemed to be in this with us and you've seemed to make clear the things that at least were most important to me to make clear that I thought were on your heart. And so I'm just going to pray for people who are listening to me right now and people who are going to hear it down the road in various venues and forums. Father, would you reveal yourself to each of us? Would you make yourself known? Would you give us not only a love for you, but a love of your ways and a love of how you reveal yourself? That would be both a personal experience of the heart and it would be an excursion into the revelation of God we call the scriptures that allow us to see a magnificent plan unfold, that allow us to have anchor points for the truth that we believe. It's not just a matter of human whim or human interpretation, but in fact, these truths began in your heart and then you brought them to ours. So, Father, I pray that you would just make use of this however most delights your heart and mostly it would be to set people free, to live more genuinely with greater freedom and greater reality in who you are.